0: Our scripture reading for today comes from Genesis chapter 41 of various verses. So please just follow along best you can. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out, out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an inter- in interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and closed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephan- Jephanath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the Phne- the name of the first word Menasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, thanks, be to God. Good to see all of you on this Lord's day. Hope you're enjoying your summer so far. Would you now bow your heads and close your eyes and join me in prayer for God's blessing? Father, we ask now that as we've heard your word being publicly read, that you would speak and minister to us as we hear your words. Father, even now as we close our eyes, we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be closed to any potential distractions or discouraging thoughts that the enemy or our flesh may irritate us even now to heed and not to hear your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would hush those demonic and evil thoughts and voices, And instead, allow us to hear the voice of the one who gives life, the voice who gives us our very hope. We pray, oh God, that you would speak to us in spite of the one who speaks on your behalf. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, amen and amen. So back when I was in elementary school, they would show us this cartoon whenever we couldn't go out to recess due to inclement weather. It was the cartoon Chicken Soup with Rice. Did anyone ever watch that cartoon, Chicken Soup with Rice? Did they still show that? Elementary school? They're like, no. Don't know what you're talking about. Basically, it's a collection of short stories, cute short stories set to the music of Carole King, a very famous folk singer from the 60s and 70s. And one particular short story is the story of Pierre a young boy who woke up one morning on the wrong side of the bed because boy was he angry and cranky especially at mom and dad because the only thing that he would ever say in response to anything that they would say or ask of him is I don't care good morning Pierre I love you you're the love of my life I don't care Pierre would you like some breakfast I made your favorite I don't care Pierre, would you like to spend the day with mommy and daddy? We took the day off just so that we can be together. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care were the only words that Pierre would say to his parents whenever they asked him or say anything to him. And the point he was making was obvious, and that is, I don't need family. I don't need you, mom and dad. I don't need this thing known as family. And it's a sentiment that we at one point in our lives, I'm sure, have also believed as well, particularly during our teenage years. But thankfully, by the grace of God, hopefully, most of us have grown out of that because if we had not, we would have suffered some real detriment to our own lives. Just ask any person today who is currently estranged from their own families. I recently came across an article on the Psychology Today website entitled, The Persistent Pain of estranged families and in that article they profiled a 34 year old man by the name of joe where he describes his current estranged situation from his own mom take a listen to his own words he said this quote i no longer speak to my mom 34 year old joe tells me i don't take her calls either but every day i hear her voice inside my head and every day i ask myself whether i'm doing the right thing over and over again scenarios play in my mind i picture us coming back together But as that reel plays on, I hit the wall of her anger and criticism, but I never make peace with the separation. You know, I find that last sentence very telling because it tells us that no matter what we try to say to ourselves to convince us, whatever we try to do to deny what we really feel, the fact of the matter is there is no pain, there is no trauma that can match the unique and utterly despairing pain and trauma that we feel when we go through disconnect, when we go through estrangement, when we are detached and disavowed by our own families. And according to one study, over 40% of the American population either is or have been estranged from their own loved ones, which means chances are, Christian, Either you have or you are or you will be estranged at one point in your family life and you will be filled with a world of hurting. And the question is, what do you do when you find yourself in that situation? Well, I think there's one person who can help us get some insight and therefore help in overcoming that. And that, of course, is Joseph. We're continuing our sermon series, The Gospel in the Family Life of Joseph. And the whole point of this series is to see how the gospel message brings healing and hope back into our lives and therefore into our families, which in turn can bring blessing to the world. And today we're going to look at how Joseph was able to overcome the tremendous pain and misery that he endured because of what his family had traumatized him to go through in his life. But not before we consider two false solutions of healing that the world offers to us that we need to make sure that we don't fall into. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you. First, we're gonna talk about the first false solution for Joseph's healing. Then we're gonna talk about the second false solution for Joseph's healing. And then we're gonna end it with the only solution. Joseph's healing. The first and second false solutions, and then we're going to end with the only true solution for healing due to family trauma. Okay, let's begin with the first point. The first false solution for Joseph's healing. So a quick recap, in case this is your first Sunday with us. Joseph is the youngest of 11 brothers who also happens to be the most hated and despised of his brothers. Why? Because their father, Jacob, loves Joseph the most. He is the favorite son. And because his brothers despise and hate him so much, they do the unthinkable. They sell him into slavery to Ishmaelites, who were slave traffickers back then, who then proceed to take him to Egypt and then sell him to his new master, a very prominent Egyptian official by the name of Potiphar. But as he's working for this man, he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape when, in fact, it was the other way around. She attempted to rape him. And as a result, Joseph is thrown in the worst prison of all of Egypt. He is thrown into the prison of the Pharaoh, the personal prison of Pharaoh. And here's the thing, as he is in this prison, somehow, someway, he miraculously is able to avoid being beaten and brutalized by the other prisoners, as well as the guards of this prison, and instead rises to the ranks of being a very model prisoner where everyone loves him, and he is a source of blessing to the people around him. All in all, 13 years have transpired since the moment he was sold into slavery to the time he is serving in Pharaoh's prison. Now, if you think about that, that's a long period of time. Thirteen years? Yeah. In fact, it's so long that some of you may be tempted to think, well, surely by now Joseph must have gotten over all the bitterness and all the anger he must have felt because of what his family did to him. Surely, because after all, don't we say time heals all things? Well, not for Joseph. And truth be told, not for any of us, because if you speak to any person who has been traumatized and hurt by their family, it doesn't matter if years have gone by, it doesn't matter if decades have gone by, the feelings of hurt that we carry still feel just as fresh as if those hurts happened to us yesterday. Am I right? Why is it that our families have this unique ability of being able to press that button in us that no one else has been able to activate in years? You know, a few years ago, my dear mother, who I I love, visited our family not too long ago just to spend time with the grandkids spend time with us and then one morning she just said something and right away I reverted back to that angry non-christian teenager that I was in the early 90s how is it that my mom is able to resurrect a part of me that has been long dead to everyone else you know why because she's my mom she's my family and guess what your family can do the same thing to you amen How is it that our families can wound us in such a way that it festers, it lingers, to where we feel like we'll never get over it, we can never move on, and as a result, we go on this desperate search, this obsessive hunt of finding a solution to heal us so that we can get on with our lives and not constantly be haunted by all the bitterness and anger and frustration we feel? Well, it turns out that the world tries to offer us solutions of healing, and we see one very popular one in our passage And that is the idea of becoming something great, becoming someone great. A very pervasive solution the world offers to us that it claims can heal us from our family trauma is if we become great in the eyes of the world. Starting in verse 25, we read, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after then there will be arising seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So let me fill in the blanks here. Okay? Okay. Joseph is in prison for about two years, but then without warning, he's immediately set free. He's released. Why? Because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a set of very disturbing, nightmarish dreams that he cannot get over. He first dreams of seven healthy cows being devoured by seven hungry, emaciated cows. And then he proceeds to have another dream where seven stalks of healthy grain get devoured by seven decayed, decrepit stalks of grain. And these dreams are so unsettling that Pharaoh is freaking out. He's freaking out so much that he is broadcasting his desperation for anyone to properly interpret what these dreams could mean. And it was in this instance that one of Pharaoh's servants, the cupbearer, remembers Joseph. If you remember from last week's sermon, this cupbearer was in prison with Joseph for a period of time when Joseph proceeded to properly interpret the cupbearer's own dream. And so when the cupbearer tells Pharaoh about Joe he immediately summons Joseph into his presence where Joseph impressively proceeds to properly interpret what the dreams are all about. And what is it about? Well, in the next 14 years, there's going to be a division of seven incredible years of abundant harvesting and seven years of incredible famine. Now, Pharaoh is so impressed by the fact that this guy is able to interpret dreams, but Joseph is actually going to impress him even more because he then proceeds to give Pharaoh a comprehensive, very competent strategic plan that is essentially going to save all of Egypt from starvation. And it's at this point we come to the passage I just read to you where Pharaoh responds to Joseph's amazing abilities by essentially making him the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command of all the nation, all the empire of Egypt. Listen again to the status and power Pharaoh conferred to Joseph. Starting in verse 40, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command only as regards the throne will I be greater than you and Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt now that's pretty impressive Joseph goes from being a no-name slave into becoming the second most powerful person of the most powerful nation at the time Now, you would think that in light of all of this status, all of the resources, all the benefits that he now has, Joseph can finally let go of the past and move forward. He can finally be healed and say, all right, I'm cool. I'm down. I can now move on and forget the trauma and let it go. But if you know Joseph's story, you know that doesn't happen to him. Why? Because his story is our story. And what I mean by that is no amount of success No amount of achievement, no impressive accomplishments could ever minimize in one detail of the pain and trauma we get from our pain, and yet from our family. And yet that is what the world constantly tries to convince us is the case. You see, the world that we live in, folks, acts like Pharaoh in this story. The world makes the promise that if you can impress it, if you can achieve great things, it will reward you with riches, with reputation, with resources that can heal you of all the trauma, all the sorrows that mommy and daddy and brother and sister and whoever in your family has inflicted upon you. But one thing that we see in our passage with Joseph is that that is utterly false. And if you ask any person who's incredibly successful and yet comes from a broken home, they'll agree with Joseph as well. Case in point. Do you guys know who Johnny Kim is? Have you heard of this guy? This guy is like incredibly impressive. Johnny Kim, a second generation Korean American, grew up in L.A., went to Harvard Medical School. Now you're thinking, are you serious? <laughs> PJ, don't you know like Korean Americans getting into Harvard Med is like a dime a dozen? What's so impressive about all that? Well, did you know that before Johnny Kim went to Harvard Med, he was a Navy SEAL? He was a sniper of SEAL Team 6, the most elite of all the SEAL teams And not only was he a sniper, he was a medic. And do you know what Dr. Johnny Kim is doing right now? He is an astronaut for NASA, okay? This guy is everything that we told our parents is not possible, okay? He is the unicorn. Harvard Med, Navy SEAL sniper, and an astronaut for NASA? When this guy first appeared on the scene, people hated him. Just like you hate him right now, right? Because he makes all of us look like a bunch of losers, But that all changed when he went on a recent podcast and shared what drove him to be so incredibly accomplished. Turns out, Johnny had a terrible father, an incredibly abusive father. In fact, his father was so abusive that one day, he came home and attempted to kill Johnny and his mother. But he couldn't do it because LAPD shot him right dead in front of Johnny's eyes. In the sobering moment of this interview, he said this, quote, when I think about my life, I was a scared little boy. I thought that being a SEAL would solve all of my life's problems. I could not have been any more wrong. See, in spite of all of his success, in spite of his almost unrepeatable achievements, Johnny Kim discovered what Joseph discovered in our passage. No amount of impressive achievements, no incredible resume, no awesome accomplishments tethered to your name will do anything whatsoever in bringing healing and restoration to your life because of what you went through in your family. And when you make that same discovery, what is going to happen? Chances are you're going to resume the hunt, and you're going to be searching for another solution of healing for all the trauma you went through growing up at home. And in fact, our passage identifies another solution the world gives to us, promising it can bring healing as well. But just like this first false solution, it is just as untrue, and it is just as much a lie. And to tell you what that is, I go to my next point, the second false solution for Joseph's healing. Read again with me verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So here we read. That Pharaoh not only gives wealth and power to Joseph, but he gives him a woman, a wife to be exact. But not just any woman, not just any wife. No, this is Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Now that's a lot of specific detail. In fact, so much specific detail that you can't be somewhat suspicious of why Pharaoh is giving this particular woman with her unique set of detailed credentials to Joseph. As if to imply that Pharaoh has something up his sleeves beyond just wanting to provide companionship for Joseph. Well, when you do a little background study about who this woman was, you come to find what was really Pharaoh's agenda. Listen to this insightful quote from pastor-scholar R. Kent Hughes. He says, quote, Aseneth was of aristocratic blood, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. She was of such high-born lineage that the pharaoh sometimes chose wives from this family. Aseneth's father presided over the temple city of Heliopolis and officiated at all major festivals and supervised the other priests. The ultra-aristocratic wife left Joseph well-connected and ominously in danger of Egyptianization. His clothing was Egyptian, his name was Egyptian, his language was Egyptian, his wife was Egyptian. And his father-in-law was a leading Egyptian sun worshiper. Young Joseph began his married life listening to hymns sung to Ray at the morning sunrise. In his own home, Joseph's soul was in greater peril than at any other time in his short life. End quote. What's he saying? He's saying that this woman, Aseneth is not a simple woman. She's complicated because she comes with a set of expectations. And one obvious expectation is the false belief that human love, whatever love you're talking about, romantic love, sexual love, friendship love, marriage marriage love, parental love, can heal all the trauma and pain and sorrow you go through in life, including the ones that you go through growing up in the home. And attached to that expectation is the follow-up expectation, and that is the only way this human love can heal you is if you're willing to worship it which means you would have to forsake worshiping anything else, including the one true God. That's what Pharaoh's goal is. He is trying to get Joseph's worship of Yahweh be redirected to his wife, represented by Joseph's willingness to worship her gods. And friends, that's exactly what the world tries to offer to us as an alternative solution for healing from all the trauma. It says that if you want to be healed, if you want to be restored from all the pain and sorrow that you went through growing up, you need to find the perfect human love. I mean, just think about some of the popular songs that were smash hits back in the day. They all deal with how relationships, human relationships, can bring hope into your life, hope of healing, hope to move on, hope to be fixed. I recently was reminded of one of these older songs through my daughter, Kara, one of her uh, classmates in her ballet school was learning a new number to this uh, well-known song by Coldplay. Do you guys remember Fix You? It was very popular after 9-11 happened. Uh, Just in case you're too young or you weren't even alive, here's a sample of the lyrics. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. When you get what you want, but not what you need. When you feel so tired, but you can't sleep. Stuck in reverse, and the tears come streaming down your face when you lose something you can't replace. When you love someone, but it goes to waste. Could it be worse? Lights will guide you home and ignite your bones, and I will try to fix you. And I will try to fix you? You know, we live in a world that makes the audacious claim that if you just meet the right person, marry the right spouse, give birth to the right child, then all the sorrows can be healed. All the pain can be forgotten. All the scars can be healed. Christian, have you bought into that lie? Have you bought into the echoing of the world of what Pharaoh is claiming to Joseph by the giving of Aseneth to him? You know, I know for some of you folks who are single, and especially those of you who've been single for quite some time, you're really waiting and desperately wanting to get married, which is not a bad thing. God created us for companionship. But I fear that for some of you, you desire this so bad because you have bought into the idea that if you find that someone, if you can say, I do, and they say the same to you, you can finally get over all the hurt, all the sorrows that you've endured growing up. For some of you, you desperately want to have your baby. Of course, it doesn't help come to a church like ours watching that kind of video that just exacerbates your desire for kids because you genuinely believe that if you have this child in your life, you can make sure that that child doesn't go through what you did when you were a child at home. Right? Christian, hear me when I say this. It is a lie, and it will not happen because it will not work. Do you want to know why? Because of what it requires you to believe about the person whose love that you think is going to bring such healing to your life. You have to believe that their love is a divine love, that that person is the Almighty. And one of the things that you're just doing as you do that kind of projection onto that person is you're setting yourself up for massive disenchanted disappointment. Consider this very insightful quote from cultural anthropologist uh, Ernest Becker. This is from his Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Denial of Death. Listen to what he says. How can a human being Be a God-like everything to another. No human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood, and the attempt must take its toll in some way on both parties. The reasons are not far to seek. The thing that makes God the perfect spiritual object is precisely that He is not a concrete individuality. And so He does not limit our development by His own personal will and needs. When we look for the perfect human object, we are looking for someone who allows us to express our will completely without any frustration or false notes. We want an object that reflects a truly ideal image of ourselves. But no human object can do this. Humans have wills and counter-wills of their own. In a thousand ways, they can move against us. Their very appetites offend us. God's greatness and power is something that we we can nourish ourselves in without it being compromised in any way by the happenings of the world. No human partner can offer this assurance. However much we may idealize and idolize him, her, he, she, inevitably reflects earthly decay, and imperfection, and as they are our ideal measure of value, this imperfection falls back upon us. If your partner is your "quote unquote" all, then any shortcoming in him or her becomes a major threat to you. Human love, my friends, cannot heal the damage and trauma that you go through at home. It can mitigate some of the symptoms, but it cannot fix the underlying damage that must be addressed if you truly want to be able to recover from all the trauma that you've went through at home so here's the question if human love doesn't do this if becoming a great accomplished individual doesn't do this what can bring healing into our lives this leads me to my final point the only solution for joseph's healing let's read the last portion of our passage starting in verse 50 we read before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God had made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Here we read what finally brought healing and restoration to Joseph's life. And when you first read it, it almost seems like it, just, it contradicts what I just said to you. Because on surface, what does it look like is healing Joseph? It looks like his two sons. But didn't I just say a moment ago that human relationships, i.e. human love, can't do what we see is happening to Joseph? What's going on? Did you misread the text? No. You misread the text, not me. Because right? what does the text actually say? Does the text say that it was his sons that healed him? Did he say that Manasseh made me forget all my hardship? Ephraim made me fruitful in the land of my affliction? No, he says God made me forget God made me fruitful. You see, as far as Joseph was concerned, the only person whose love can bring healing and hope back into his life when his family has sucked it out of him is God and God alone. So here's the question. How come he only makes this discovery in light of the birth of his sons? Look again at what Joseph says in 51 and 52. He says, God made me forget. God made me fruitful. That word made could be substituted with the word fixed Healed, restored, because that's how he's using that word. See, Joseph, through the birth of his sons, discovered something about himself that he thought was impossible. Let me explain with a silly illustration. A silly illustration. Let's say a guy is driving. He gets into a car accident and becomes permanently paralyzed from the waist down. And the doctor is saying, I'm sorry, you'll never be able to move the bottom part of your body, let alone ever walk again. And so this guy accepts this begrudgingly. And then one day, a couple months go by, he's watching the Mets in the World Series. I said it was a silly illustration. Um, I love the Mets. I love the Mets. But let's be true, guys. All right? Okay. Okay, I got to repent. I'm so sorry, guys. (laughs) But let's say they win the World Series. And then without even thinking, the guy gets off his wheelchair, starts jumping up and down in jubilation. After the second jump, he's shocked and he's frozen. And he looks down at his legs because he's able to do something that the trauma of his accidents told him he should not be able to do. That's what's happening to Joseph. After the birth of the second child, he is shocked to discover that he is able to do something that the trauma of his family told him he should not be able to do. What is he able to do? He's able to love his boys, right? He loves his children. And not with any kind of love that parallels Jacob's love, because how did Jacob love his sons? He played favorites. Does Joseph give any indication that he's playing favorites with these two boys? Look at how he describes his love for them. It's very different, but yet it's equal in terms of the detail and the depth. He loves his boys equally and yet uniquely, right? What is that? That's unconditional love. He loves his boys before they do anything right or wrong. He loves his boys before their personality emerges. He loves his boys even though he doesn't even know the kind of people they are. And it's because of this miraculous ability that parallels the miracle of a person jumping up and down who's been traumatized and paralyzed. Joseph has no choice, and he has no other alternative but to give glory to God because he knows that it was through the giving of a son that God healed him. And guess what, folks? That's exactly what we get in the gospel. God gives us a son as well. And through the giving of a son, we are healed. We are restored and we're able to do what the trauma that our family has given to us tells us we shouldn't be able to do. And yet here we are doing it. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says God gave his one and only son to come into the world, the eternal son of God, as Jesus Christ. Why? So he could suffer the full penalty, endure the full punishment for your sins and my sins on the cross, achieving something that doesn't even that that Joseph's achievement doesn't even come close in glory, right? Jesus accomplished the greatest gift of all because he spared us, not from earthly death, which Joseph did by, you know, overcoming this famine. Jesus saved us for eternal, from eternal death, so that we could have eternal life from the wrath of God. That is impressive. That is amazing. And when you realize that this Jesus does this because he loves us with an contra-conditional love not unconditional but contra-conditional you know what contra-conditional love is contra-conditional love is when you love someone even when they've done things that make you not required to love them unconditional love is when you love someone even when they didn't do anything good or bad which is what joseph's boys did god loved us contra-conditionally he loved us in spite of our sins you see And when you understand that, then you have encountered and experienced a love that no human love could ever come close into paralleling. And as a result, it will inspire you into an exclusive worship to him and him alone. And the more you worship this God, the more you walk with him, the more you discover, sometimes even without realizing it, that he is healing and that he's already healed you. Sometimes through an encounter with someone that you thought could never be a recipient of your love, and yet here you are loving. That's how God works. God works in such a way that we cannot anticipate, that we cannot avert away from, that we cannot avoid, because he will come to us, and he will get to us, and he will heal us, sometimes in spite of what we want. And it begins with you acknowledging that the gospel has that power. Here's my question, Christian. Do you have faith in that gospel message? I know for some of you, I've been pastoring you guys for quite a long time, over 13 years now. And I know for many of you, you have hurt, you have pain, you have sorrow because of what mom, dad, brother, sister, grandfather, grandmother has done to you. I think that this particular message and this series is perhaps calling you to reconsider some thoughts and conclusions that you have come to with regard to what your responsibility is to them. My hope and prayer is that you will hear the voice of your master and respond appropriately and let it begin with you remembering and relishing this gospel message so that you could see that though you feel you can't do it, God will do it through you. Amen? Now let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with all of us as you know the history and the biography of our lives where we are filled with so much pain and sorrow scars that we still carry even though decades have passed father we ask that you would help us to believe what is seemingly unbelievable the miracle power of your love upon us to where we can truly be healed even though other worldly solutions have failed in healing us god i pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who have gone through and are still going through estrangement with their loved ones God, I pray that your spirit would really let the words that were spoken really sink deep into their hearts and form a conviction that they cannot resist and they cannot ignore, the conviction of seeking reconciliation, which we'll talk about in the next couple weeks. Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond because of the way in which you have come to us with mercy and grace. Help us to remember of your contra-conditional love so that we can learn to love unconditionally those who you call us to love help us now for we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We're not gonna